Welcome to the Pope on Film! I am Bunny Williams and with me is... I am the Pope in question. My name is Reverend Steve. I am the founder of the Church of Ed Wood, which is an actual thing worth a Google. It is episode 417 of the podcast and I've got way too much for this podcast, so I'm just going to try and rip through it. It's all really good, and I want to get to all of it. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, Dear Evan Hansen. We're going to be talking about the WWE. We are going to be talking about author Toni Morrison, and I've got some. I've, I've got something really fun lined up for this week's uh, movie, which is... The Holy Mountain, which was directed by the legendary director, Tommy So. Yes. And it's going to be just a, a great episode, so let's get to it. Bonnie! Yes. Okay, so this is entirely true. I had something really funny lined up for the start of the podcast, and it was really good, and I was really excited about it, but then I got really high, and I forgot what it was, and so this week on the podcast, I thought I'd do something a little bit different, and so the opening of this episode was written by my 10-year-old son and my 5-year-old child, Eleanor. They wrote this opening. A 10-year-old and a 5-year-old wrote this opening. So the remainder of this specific bit was written by them. I said, you guys will be writing the beginning of the podcast. Let me know what you want me to write. And I wrote it all down. So are you ready, Bunny? Yes. Yes, okay. So in this episode, I will be talking about I don't know, I can't read. So I will eat chili dogs, gotta go fast. Gorilla! I just said gorilla. I'm gonna go punch Eggman in his egg head. And Dad, can I try to open this? Eat! Tom Nook, wait, I gotta go to the bathroom. Awooga! Um, okay. Um, mask! Grass! Taste bad. Better not attack me. I just want to pet you. Dad, you better not be writing all of this down. I like cats because they're so cute and so fluffy. Shub, shubba, love dub. Shubba, shubba, shub dub. I like all kinds of chocolate, including white chocolate and dark chocolate. Why I like chocolate, it's so sweet. I'm speaking of ghosts and skeletons and Elmo's world because I think Elmo's world is haunted. Seriously. I'm also scared of poop and foop. Poop and foop. Bernard's tail just hit me in the weight. Don't write this all down, Dad. I've got something to add to it. Bernard, you cannot eat my toes, gazpacho. Gizmo, I put your name in it, into it too. So you're in the podcast now, Gizmo. 
No artificial additives or prescivitives. <coughs> uh, and also, potatoes. A uh, bready mustard. Mike Wazowski, 100 Neralale Shashuzizi Crackers Flap You Dap. I have two words for you. Cough and E, which spells coffee, and Elmo farts. I'm going to stop now because I think Dad has been writing all of this. Buff, but, no, but, 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 but. And anyway, that has been the opening of the podcast as written by my two youngest children. And I think it was great. I think we got a lot out. I think it was important. And, uh, you know, I think we've said a lot here. I, I was moved. Uh, I, I think Maxwell is a very, very promising artist. Uh, his words touched me. His words touched me on a level that I, I really can't... It was almost spiritual and, and, and godlike. Yeah, like I think when I said the word but ten times, like, take that, Joe Dorowski. Yes. I like the name Joe Jodorowsky because in my mind, it's a guy from Brooklyn whose last name is Dorowski. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Joe. Joe Dorowski. You know, I'm just here from the block. Hey, yes. did you see the game last night? You know, that's Joe, Joe Dorowski. And I like it. I, I, like I it. kind of take it that Alexandro Jodorowsky, like, had to have come from money to be able to afford that many syllables. Yeah, probably. His uh, his full name is uh, Alejandro Boom Boom Jodorowsky. So but only when he was on Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah, yeah. So uh, okay, tell somebody else. Tell somebody else. Tell somebody else. Thank you. And that and cut on that segment. I think that that was pretty good. I liked that. I thought that was great. Bunny. Yes. Every once in a blue moon, the Pope on Film podcast tries to catch people up on the behind-the-scenes world of professional wrestling. So put on your Speedo and cue up your entrance music because it's time once again for the Pope on Film Wrestling News. With an All emphasis right. on the R. With an emphasis on the R. It's not the Pope on Film Wrestling News. It's Wrestling News. There's no G in that at all. Yes. Want, want to make it perfectly clear. First off, Vice News is currently running season three of their show, The Dark Side of the Ring, which looks at the tawdry side of professional wrestling. It's really great. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, it's, it's pretty amazing. They did a two-parter on the life of Chris Benoit. Their episode on the WWF Brawl for All is really great. Uh, anywho, their latest episode is on what what's known as the flight from hell and it's really caused a stink online 
and in the wrestling industry. In 2002, the WWE did a European tour and they chartered a private flight for their trip back to the States. But bad weather grounded the plane, so all of these wrestlers were stuck in a private plane with an open bar and pills, and Jesus fucking Christ, things got insane. Before now, when the flight, when the flight, before now, when the flight from hell was discussed, it was discussed in a way of like, oh man, these crazy wrestlers, getting into trouble, boys being boys. Ha! Ah, some of them were fined. One or two were fired. It's fine. You know how wrestlers can be. But uh, it, it was a lot worse than everyone expected. Um, Ric Flair naked, wearing only a robe, doing helicopter dick. Yeah. Uh, Scott Hall might have been roofied and woke up just long enough to lick the face of a flight attendant who was later sexually assaulted by naked Ric Flair. Michael Hayes had his ponytail cut off. Um, Goldust took over the PA and started singing. Brock Lesnar got into a fight with another wrestler midair and almost uh, caused the, the door to open up. During the flight, it's a wildly scandalous story, but the internet is still fuming over uh, former ECW wrestler Tommy Dreamer, who was on the who was interviewed for the episode. And in the episode, Dreamer responded to the Ric Flair sexual assault allegations by saying, "Well, everyone gets offended by everything these days." Yeah. Which is a surprisingly right-wing uh, way to respond to sexual assault, Tommy Dreamer. Yeah. And he, le- he then compared the assault to his ponytail. Okay. And they asked him about the flare assault allegations, and it's like, well, you know, uh, people get offended by everything nowadays. I mean, look at me. I have two ponytails right now. Two ponytails. There are some people watching this right now saying, hey, I, I can't believe you're wearing two ponytails. I can't believe this. I'm so upset. So, yeah, everybody gets offended by everything these days. But, yeah, you know, it, this wasn't that bad, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, WWE so is nice, now removed. Nice. You know, so sexual assault is right on par with his grooming choices. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, as a result of this, the WWE has removed all Ric Flair merchandise from their shop. You know how bad you gotta fuck up Ric Flair that they've removed all Ric Flair merch from their shop? I mean, they're selling every... They were selling everything with Ric Flair on it. I think they were selling uh, all new, woo, tampons. You know? And, like, the size of the tampon is dependent on how long the woo is. If you want a like a petite tampon, you get a woo. And if you need a large tampon for large flow, you get the woo. You know, so yeah, yeah, that's for the heavy the flow days. Yeah, the last time we saw them remove everything from their shop was when Chris Benoit killed everybody. And also, which was, uh, okay, which was a dick move. Yeah, it was a real dick move for Chris Benoit to kill his whole family. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, 
I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm against that. Yeah, I, 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 I take a firm stance against family murder. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. And also, Impact Wrestling has suspended... And I stand by that, motherfuckers. I stand by that. You want to challenge me? I will fucking debate you anywhere, anytime. Yeah, bring it on. Bring yeah. it on. I'm sure the pro-family murder uh, people out there are already up in arms about this podcast, taking such a strong stance against murdering your family. Yes. But hey, you got to draw a line in the sand somewhere, you know? Uh, so yeah, so they removed all Ric Flair merch from their shop. Impact has suspended Tommy Dreamer, but there's no way Lesnar will ever get punished because the WWE will look the other way, just like they did with Ric Flair back in 2002. And I think it says a lot about wrestling culture that this can happen, and the WWE will fine and fire the low-tier guys and then protect the, the made men like Flair. Yeah. Uh, so that says a lot. Also, Brock Lesnar is back in professional wrestling. Why? Because it's time to dust him back off because it's Saudi Arabia time again. Surprised they don't, like, uh, dig up the corpse of Macho Man Randy Savage so he can wrestle at Saudi Arabia. Uh, Probably someday soon. I would not put it past. Yeah. Meanwhile, the WWE made an announcement that is without a doubt the most WWE thing that you'll ever hear. The, w, uh, the WWE said recently in an interview that they will be looking for new wrestling talent. From now on, they will be looking for new wrestling talent, not in the indie wrestling circuit, but from, quote, outside sources. So outside. to reiterate... Yeah, yeah. So to reiterate, the WWE will no longer be hiring wrestlers to be wrestlers. And that's the most WW that is so WWE of the WWE that it makes me sick. And it's a good it's a good indication of where the WWE is right now as a company. But hey, uh, it's not all bad. I've got some good news. Here's a quote from uh, former presidential candidate uh, turned uh, um, member of the Biden administration, Andrew Yang. He yes. tweeted this uh, on September 16th, and I got giddy with glee. He tweeted, I just had a call with the Department of Labor. If you are a current or former WWE performer who feels that you were misclassified as an independent contractor, please contact this one account. And let's get you what Vince McMahon owes you. It's been a long time coming, but this storyline is real. And I just love the fact that there's someone in the Biden administration who might successfully try and take down the WWE because oh, yeah. it's about time, you know? Yes. Like, I hated Andrew Yang until now. <laughs> now big Andrew Yang fan. Also, uh, the WWE has made a small bit of news this week because uh, it, on NXT, which has been completely rebranded, by the way, and uh, it, the reason why it's been rebranded is because NXT was originally a, a, 
an indie show that was only available on the WWE uh, app, the streaming, WWE uh, streaming site, whatever. But uh, then AEW, their big competition, said, hey, we've got a show on TNT, and it's AEW Dynamite, and we're going to be on Wednesdays. And the WWE said, well... You know, we're number one, and we don't really see AEW as competition. We don't really have competition, and so there's no competition. Also, NXT is now going to be on the USA Network every Wednesday ex at exactly the same time as AEW Dynamite. But again, AEW is in competition. But AEW completely wiped the floor with NXT. So, and, so the WWE moved... NXT from Wednesdays to Mondays and also said uh, we're firing a bunch of people and we're completely redoing it and it definitely has nothing to do with the fact that the, the, the NXT is being punished because they lost to AEW in the ratings because again, this isn't a competition. We're just completely firing a bunch of people and rebranding the entire uh, thing but it's not a competition it's not a competition so uh, a lot of people are getting new names and new characters, new gimmicks in NXT. And a wrestler named Joe Gacy, is uh, he's gotten a new character. And his character is basically, he's a bad guy. But also, he's woke now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard about this guy. Yeah. And, I, I just uh, heard a blurb, so I have nothing, no idea what it's about. He, he was just a typical wrestler, you know, bad guy wrestler in his, like, uh, tights and his, like, speedo, all badass. And then suddenly, last uh, last NXT, he shows up in, like, a buttoned-up shirt and, like, khakis. And he's talking about being inclusive. And uh, he understands now that, you know, we need to... It's about unity. And we need to treat everyone with respect. And he's woke now, and he's <laughs> going to try and treat everyone as equals, and he's a bad guy. Uh, and uh, fun fact, last year, the WWE introduced a new faction called Retribution. This was a faction that premiered in the WWE during the uh, protests against police violence. Okay. Uh, Retribution was a faction of young people, all in black, who would just show up to Raw and SmackDown and start destroying everything because they wanted to destroy the status quo. They weren't Antifa. They were retribution. Yes. And the year before that, in 2019, uh, Daniel Bryan, the WWE champion, got rebranded as an evil environmentalist. He replaced the leather WWE championship belt and replaced it with a wooden fake leather environmentally friendly belt okay and uh i don't remember where i was going with this but hey here's a fact that might shock you vince mcmahon's wife worked for the trump administration yeah you, right? you would never know that you would never know that yeah yeah so the wwe is pissing me off here's another reason to hate the wwe they have recently announced that they're teaming up with Blumhouse, the film studio, to produce an expensive, glossy 
Hollywood-type series, a bio about the life of America's greatest businessman, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Oh, my God. And this really makes me sick, because this is going to be biased as fuck, you know? And it's like, Vincent McMahon, the greatest businessman who ever lived. And then what happened? The evil government tried to take him down with a frivolous lawsuit. Steroids? No one in wrestling has ever took them. You know what this is? <coughs> this is probably just the government and the left trying to take the WWF down. But don't worry. Vince McMahon is too brave and amazing to let that stop him. You know, it's going to be a fucking hatchet job. And it's going to be horrible. But it's not all bad news because All Elite Wrestling, AEW, the competition, they have signed some really big names recently, including former WWE champions Daniel Bryan and CM Punk. The Big Show is there now. Sting is wrestling. And a bunch of other people. Uh, One of my favorite wrestlers... uh, he, he used to be the fiend in the WWE. He might be premiering as early as this week, but uh, they're now filling 20,000-seat arenas, and they're beating the WWE, Raw and SmackDown, in the key 18 to 49 demographic right now. So the WWE is trash, but at least there's a better, viable, fresh alternative out there. And I think it's, I think it's actually... Uh, AEW is lighting a fire under WWE's ass and it's making the WWE better and the WWE is starting to try and do a bit more gimmicks like during the Monday Night Wars like they had a big pay-per-view main event that they moved to TV and then one of their uh, WWE World Championships was just won on television which hasn't happened in a really long time so yeah. the people who watch Raw are saying, oh, wow, Raw is getting a lot better. And, and yeah, but uh, AEW is in competition is what the WWE will say to you over and over again. Anyway, I'm really excited about the wrestling industry right now because it looks like uh, the, the, the old way of doing things is starting to change, and I'm excited about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I have a kind of a question here, though. Yes. Uh, like, why AEW and not Lucha Underground or TNA? You know what I mean? What, what, what puts the shine on the apple for AEW? that these other two promotions do not have that has Uh, AEW now consistently beating WWE. I would say... I take drugs during the show. Keep that in mind. I would say (laughs) major network backing. You know, like... Like, uh... TNA Wrestling. Catch it every week on like Spike or America First United UHF Channel 84, you know, or whatever the fuck. And then Lucha Underground was 
fucking amazing and fucking incredible, but it was on uh, the El Rey network, you know? Yeah. But, but this is on TNT, and that is huge. And now one of their shows, AEW Dynamite, will be moving to Superstation TBS, but their second show, AEW Rampage, will, will still be on TBS, uh, on TNT. So they'll have one show on TNT and one show on TBS. And, and those are two big-ass big networks, you know? Yeah. And they've got really big backing and advertisement on major things. Like, uh, you know, uh, so, so many NBA games are on TNT that, that during a major NBA game, it's like, hey, be sure and check out uh, AEW Dynamite this Wednesday. And so they've got a lot of really big backing. Their last uh, show of AEW Dynamite, they sold out an arena. And it was just, it was like the most professional I've ever seen AEW before. It yeah. looked like, like a good episode of Raw or... WCW Monday Nitro back in the day it just looked good and fresh and new and exciting and and I don't know plus they've just got some really good characters that I really like uh Matt Hardy is there and he's got like six different personas now yeah and that's good and of course my favorite wrestler Orange Cassidy he's amazing it looks like they were going to sign Ric Flair to AEW but I don't think that's happening now. Yeah. But anyway, that's it for the Pope on Film Wrestling News. Uh, it was difficult to write this because there's so much news. Yes. But I think I did a pretty good job. So be sure and join us next time for more uh, Pope on Film Wrestling News. With an emphasis on the R, which is a very important part of the title. Yes. And cut on that. Uh, Bonnie! Yes! So I have the AMC A-List subscription service. It's a monthly thing where for $19.95 a month, I get up to three movie tickets a week for free. And I used to really take advantage of it from December 2018 to March 2020. I saw a whopping 177 movies in a 66-week period. Then the pandemic happened and it totally... Uh, messed up my groove but yes. now I'm back to watching movies so it's time once again for our weekly up to date movie review section with Steve Stubbs of the week dun, 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 dun. and this week's installment of Steve Stubbs represents my 13th week back in theaters and in that time I have now watched 24 movies um uh, I think I only saw three movies in theaters during the pandemic. Yeah. A lot at the drive-ins. This weekend at the drive-in, they were showing... At the drive-in uh, in Oklahoma City, they were showing It Chapter One and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which I thought was a really weird double feature. Yeah. But apparently they're going to be showing uh, more spookier movies and less family-friendly stuff for the month of October, so I'm really excited. 
Last year, my wife and I went out and saw the first Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th in a double feature, and it was fucking amazing, and I hope yeah. they do something like that again. Oh, also, also this weekend at the drive-in, while they were showing it, they had a guy dressed as Pennywise going through the car scaring people. Yeah? And I thought that was really fucking cool. You know? I think they... that's really fucking dangerous in Oklahoma. Oh, Oh yeah, hell yeah! I'm surprised no one got shot, but I still I think it's cool. But that's because I don't own any uh, firearms. Yes. So this week I saw the following two movies in theaters: Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings for the second time, and the new musical Dear Evan Hansen, which has m- one of my favorite songs of all time, which I'd like to sing to you now. It's the title track. Dear Evan Hansen, what's it like in New York City? I'm a half a mile away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty. Yes, you do. I don't remember who sings that, but it's not from the Dear Evan Hansen musical. But I find that joke to be hilarious, and I think it's because it's a dad joke. Now let's first discuss the movie that will not be chosen as my movie pick of the week, and that is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. This is my second time seeing it in theaters, and I'm starting to pick up little details like there's a fight on a bus and it's a really good fight on the bus but while everyone else in the theater is going wow this is an amazing fight on a bus i'm in the theater going this is the second movie i've seen this year where there's a fight on a public bus yes true how weird is that yeah how like like I want to see a movie where Shang-Chi is fighting a Better Call Saul. Well, let me let me propose a th- a theory, okay? Mm-hmm. Shoot, you because you're talking about two movies pretty much shot during the pandemic. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So if you shoot on a bus, you can get the illusion of a big set piece. Yes. Because you can see the city streets and the buildings behind you, or in nobody, you know, that would be more lights and things like that. But you can contain the number of, you can lower the number of people you actually need in the scene by putting them in a bus. So that's yeah. less people that you have to check to make sure they're vaccinated. You know, less people you could... Sp- in both movies... Well, I haven't seen Chang Chang chi But even in Nobody, everybody on that bus was fairly well social socially distanced. Yeah. You know? Uh, I'm, so that's I'm just looking. a theory I'm proposing. Why you may see two films with action scenes on a bus in the same year. Uh, yeah, it's, okay. I'm sorry, so, uh, it's not a theory. It's a hy- hypothesis. Okay, so I looked it up. Uh, they started filming Shang-Chi in February, and they got maybe like half of it done, but then they had to halt it on March 12th because of the damn pandemic, and they started filming again in like uh, August. But uh, I really like the 
I, I thought, oh man, the bus scene in Nobody is really good, but then the bus scene in Shang-Chi is really good, and the reason why it's really good is because um, the, the fight choreography was done by uh, the guy who used to do uh, the, the choreography for like uh, uh, Jackie Chan movies and shit. And then yeah. he died. And so the movie is like dedicated to him or some shit like that. But it's a really good, it's a really good uh, bus fight scene. But there's a guy in the bus and he starts filming it. He starts filming the fight. He starts live streaming it. And he's like, hey, y'all, what's up? It's your boy. Now, I took some kung fu as a child, so I'm going to rate this fight. And he's really funny because there's this big fight happening, but then there's just this one douchebag filming the entire fight. It took me a while to figure it out, but the second viewing, I figured it out. It's the same guy from the opening of Spider-Man Homecoming. He's working at a hot dog stand, and he's like, Hey, Spider-Man! Hey! Do a flip! And Spider-Man does a flip on top of a building, and, and, and the guy's like, Yeah! It's the same guy, and he's now appeared in two Marvel movies. Yeah. And so I'm really happy about that. Also, there's a scene where there's like an underground fighting sort of thing happening, and you, you pass this hallway, and in each room, there's a big window, and there are two different people fighting, and some of them have powers, and there's one fight that they focus on a little bit, and it's a guy who's glowing red, fighting this woman in an all-black outfit. And at first, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But the second time I saw it, that's when I realized, wait a second, the guy who's glowing, he's an extremist person from Iron Man 3. <laughs> Except he didn't blow up. Because they, they would do experiments on people, and some of them would fucking blow up, and then some of them didn't, and he's one of the people who didn't. And then the woman that he's fighting in the all-black outfit I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure she's one of the Red Room people. Okay. From Black Widow. So I'm pretty sure it's a Black Widow trainee fighting an extremist person from Iron Man 3. So I'm starting to pick up the tiny little details, and I'm really excited about that. Anyway, it's a really fun movie, and I love it. Now, a question here. Yes. And I don't remember from Black Widow either, but... Anything in the way of a Stan Lee cameo? No. No, not at all. So we're just not doing cameos anymore? No. That sucks, man. I mean, uh, I could kind of go with Deadpool doing a cameo, but, like, it, at least do something. Like, okay, you're on a bus. Somebody on the bus? Big cut, cardboard cutout of Stan Lee. I'm I'm hoping that in a year or two we will get Deadpool doing the Stan Lee type cameos. Hopefully, yeah. that's what I'm hoping for. Fingers crossed. Or maybe somebody's reading the magazine and Stan Lee's face is on the cover. You know, I mean, Stan yeah, Lee something can like still that. do cameos if they want to get inventive. Yeah. Okay, and finally, the Steve Stubbs pick of the week is. Dear Evan Hansen, 
It's a movie based on a very popular Broadway musical. Ben Platt uh, plays a high schooler in the Broadway play, and he plays the same role in the movie. And a lot of people online are giving him shit because now he's 27 years old, and, oh, he looks too old to be in this movie. Oh, man, he looks like he's 30 or 40 years old, and he's pretending to be a high schooler. This is the silliest thing in the world, and we're all going to make fun of it because... Never in the history of movies has there ever been an older person playing a high schooler. Yeah. Did you ever see fucking Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man? Fucking Kristen Dunst is dating a 45-year-old high school fucking senior. (laughs) But whatever. So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit. Any fucking horror movie, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. of them. This happens all the fucking time. Friday so I don't know why 13, everyone is... 1 through 10. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why everyone is focusing on this specific movie and this specific person, but, like, he does a good job, of course, because he did this forever on Broadway, and this is his part and his baby, <coughs> and he does a really good job, and the movie's all right. But that's not what I want See, to talk but, about. But I, I totally get your point, because, like, I've heard of this. I've heard of this guy being in this in this handsome movie, and he's too old for the part, and there's absolutely no fucking reason for me to have heard about it. It's so many people are just, like, punching down right now about Dear Evan Hansen, and it's like, okay, we can make fun of Cats, because Cats is a shitty movie. Dear Evan Hansen is all right. They've cut out a lot from the musical, a lot of musical numbers, and uh, it, I find that the character of Evan Hansen and the things that he does in this musical are really shitty, and he's an asshole, and I think that if you're seeing the play and you're there in person and you're watching it, and you're ex- then you're excited to see a musical and to see it in person, and especially on Broadway, there's an excitement, and so when you see the play, it's a spectacle, and you love it, but when you're watching a movie, there's less of a spectacle and you're focusing more on characters and motivation. And that's when you realize when you're watching the movie as opposed to seeing the play, when you're watching the movie, you have time enough to say, wow, this character is a piece of shit. And all of the things that he does are fucking horrible. It's like watching Tobey Maguire's first Spider-Man movie now and you go, okay, this fucking asshole is stalking Mary Jane. Yeah. So, yeah, Evan Hansen's a fucking creep, but he does a good job in the movie, and I just don't understand why everyone's picking on this one guy. He, he, he doesn't look that bad in the movie, but I can look past that because yeah, all of my pictures. life, all of my life, I have been seeing, like, 25 to 30-year-old people on fucking 90210 and shit, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and let's I don't face another fucking fact, okay? Yeah, most actors who would actually be age appropriate to the to the role are messed out of their fucking heads. Absolutely, absolutely. So I so so yeah. I, I don't mean, know why people literally. Are... Who acts in that age bracket? I don't know. What breakaway stars know. have there been in that age bracket? 
It's no a idea. fucked up time in life to be a human, and you're really not fit for the movie industry at that moment. Yeah. We'll get back to you. That's why a lot of the kid stars go off to college during those years. Yeah, they get hopped up on goofballs. Yeah. Two. But I, it, that's all I want to talk about Dear Evan Hansen. I want to talk about my experience going to see Dear Evan Hansen because, because I had one of the worst movie-going experiences of my life. Okay. So, I normally don't go, a, go see a movie on opening night. Right. Because there's still a freaking pandemic happening, and I don't want to be in a theater with a bunch of people, so I go and see movies on Mondays and Thursdays. On Mondays, there's fucking no one in the theater, and I can just go, and most of the time I'll be by myself, and it'll be a blast, and if there's anyone else, there's only going to be two or four other people, and we're all socially distanced, and it's fine. And then I go to the movies on Thursday, but I hardly ever see the opening, the opening night movie, Instead, what I do is I go and see a movie. Uh, 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 I'll go and see a. I'll go and see a movie that's been out for a while. Where are you guys going? Why? Why are you guys driving to go get Emerald? Oh, okay. Dude, ask. Ask. Another person I would appreciate if you asked someone else. Thank you. Uh, so, so I usually don't go to the opening night for movies, which is Thursday. But I decided I really wanted to see the new Evan Hansen movie, so I went on opening night. Um, I got there five minutes before the previews started, and I had heard some bad reviews. I want one of the reasons why I wanted wanted to see it on opening night is because. It was getting impossible to ignore reviews. Okay. Trying to ignore reviews of Dear Evan Hansen before the movie came out, came out felt like Neo on the roof dodging the bullets. <laughs> okay. That they were just all coming at me, and I was just like, whoa, trying to dodge all of these bad reviews. So it's like, I got to get this over with now. But by the time... I got to the movies, it's like, oh, well, I have been hearing some bad things. So I decided to sit in my This Movie May Be Bad seat, which is back row middle. And I sit there because off my mom, when I was a kid, my mom would take me to just every movie, regardless if it was a movie that was appropriate for kids. If my mom wanted to see a movie, she would take me. And so I ended up seeing horror movies, adult movies, movies with sex, movies with violence, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, like, like, a, like a Commando and like Stallone's Cobra and fucking yeah. Predator and shit. So if when I was a kid, if there was ever a movie that I was super bored at, what I would do is I would just look up and see the projection in the sky. And I always liked that as a kid. And I was like, oh, look at that. So there's the projector back there. And look at it through the sky. You can see it through the dark room before it hits the screen. And so now, if I'm going to see a movie where it's like, okay, I'm going to go see Matthew McConaughey and Serenity, I'm sitting in the back row. Yes. So that if it's bored, I can just look up and see the projection. And also, if it's a really bad film and I start, like, 
gesturing like like uh, I'm watching a bad movie and I'm I, I'm moving my hands like what 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 the fuck is this? Oh my god, facepalm. Yeah. So I sit in the back. Right before the opening credits start for Dear Evan Hansen, eight high schoolers come in. Okay. Four boys and four girls, and they head straight to the back row. Then they see me, and for whatever reason, they decide to split up. Four of them sit on one side of me, a few seats to the left, and four more sit a few seats away from me on the right. So I'm surrounded by high schoolers on both sides, and they're seniors in high school. I know that you're seniors in high school because during the opening song, there's a pep rally and two of these fucking douchebag boys start going, seniors! And the other ones on the other side start going, whoop, whoop, seniors! And so they're ye- already yelling. It's the opening number and yeah. already they're yelling during the fucking movie. Okay? So I already know this is going to be some bullshit. Between both groups, on my left and on my right, they must have taken about 30 different photographs during the movie. In the dark, with the flash on. And some of them might have been me. I'm trying not to look at the douchebag teenagers who are yelling and screaming and taking photographs on their phone. I'm trying to focus on the movie and not on them but there are so many bright flashes that I'm starting, I'm pretty sure they took some pictures of me, the blue haired Mexican sitting alone with a face mask, the only person with a face mask in the fucking screen and a big ass tub of popcorn. So uh, there were high schoolers on both sides, but the people on the left were the worst. There was one in crutches. I'm assuming high school football team, I don't know. Maybe wrestling team, maybe a track guy got injured. I don't fucking know. He started making jokes. I, bl- I don't blame him as much. In the opening number, Evan Hansen starts eating a can of nuts. So they must have done at least 20 D's nuts jokes during the film. And they're yelling them. They are yelling them. Yeah. D's nuts? <laughs> and they say, and they would especially yell these nuts during emotion, emotional moments, like, "Oh my God, my son is dead! Oh my God, he signed your cast, signed these nuts!" And then during sad moments, during sad okay, songs. Okay, okay, okay. Wait a second. But it was fun as shit when we did it. That's what I was trying to think. I was trying to think. I, I don't want to complain to these people because I was young. I was young once, too. Back in my prime, we would also sit in the back and make fun of movies and all of that shit. It, it, but it was difficult to focus on the movie. If there was a sad song that someone was singing, if there was a really sad song, they would start going, Yeah! Woo! And that distracts you from the movie-going experience. Yeah. But then, um, about halfway through the movie, right before the memorial scene, so there's a memorial for the kid who committed suicide, and 
Uh, Evan Hansen is about to go on stage to talk about this kid who had just committed suicide. Right before that happens, and that's the big musical number. That's the big showstopper. You will be found. And it's the song that, that to so many young people who fell in love with Dear Evan Hansen, this song gives them hope. Uh, right before that song hap happens, I hear the one in crutches to the le left of me arguing with his girlfriend, saying shit like, well, fuck you. You're the one who brought me to this fucking movie. Fucking, this is fucking bullshit taking me to this. You're the one who fucking dragged me here. So he yells really loudly. And there's like 35 people in this theater. But he yeah. yells really loudly. And I apologize for the language. But I, it, this is me quoting him saying this. He yells really loudly in the theater. I'm not a fucking queer! He would do this twice during the movie. Not three times, because the third time, he said, I ain't no fucking fag. Uh, okay. Before the gay stuff, before he started yelling the gay stuff, I, I seriously considered standing up and going and complaining to the manager. But uh, when I was in high school, I went to go see the movie The Pallbearer in theaters with fucking yeah. David Schwimmer. And uh, there were these four high school, uh, young, very young high school girls who were at the theater, and they were only there because David Schwimmer was on Friends. And they were being really loud and yelling and throwing stuff in the theater. So I went and complained to the manager. And then the manager went and talked to them because apparently one of the girls was the little sister of the manager and the manager came not to stop them, but to point out that I was the one who complained. So the girls moved seats so that they were right behind me and started shaking the seat with their foot and throwing shit directly at me. It was the one and only time that I have ever walked out of a movie ever, and it was because there was five pounds of fucking popcorn thrown at me. Okay. So I'm already gun-shy about going to the manager at a theater about fucking anything, but I'm seriously considering going to the and, and, manager. And there is a gang of them. Yeah, there's eight of them. There are eight of them. Yeah. And so I was seriously considering... And they're all hopped up on goofballs, like at, you had yeah, said. As, as all young people are. Yeah. Yeah. But once... So they got that the super strength. Yeah. But once the really angrily homophobic stuff started getting yelled at, that's when I realized I am a Mexican with blue hair, painted nails, a purse around my shoulder, and I know they don't know that, I, that, that there is no way that these high schoolers would know I've got a thong on, but somehow they'll know. <laughs> that I have a fucking thong on. So suddenly I'm scared to go and tell them, tell the manager, because I will have to pass one of the gaggle of teens who are yelling violent homophobic shit. Yeah. And I swear one of the times they yelled that they were looking at me. 
because it was louder. And I think because they were focused out of me. So it got to the point where even during the movie when I needed to pee, I dared not leave my seat out of fear. And then I started getting pissed off because uh, what got me was this guy is literally yelling offensive homophobic slurs during the movie. But what about the other 35 fucking people in the theater who never once get up to complain? Yeah. You know? Like, I'm not leaving for a good reason because I am a, a, a member of the LGBTQIA plus family and I don't want to go past these people that are saying the worst homophobic slurs known to man with my fucking purse that says Bart Harley Jarvis on it. But fucking, why is no one else complaining? Because I live in a small town in a deeply red state. But, he, but uh, um, near the end of the film, when a uh, certain person finally came clean in the movie, the girls left. I don't know if the girls had enough of the boys' shit, but I'd like to think that they did. Yeah. And they ditched the boys. So the two on the left crossed me to get to the two on the right so that they could all sit as a group. And one of them uh, uh, brushed past my leg and said, fucking watch it to me. And when Julianne Moore finally had her song at the end, one of them yelled, shut the fuck up, cunt. And they walked out shortly afterwards, and one of them said, fuck this fucking faggot movie. And as they passed and said that, one of them looked directly at me, and I legitimately thought that there is a chance that when I finally get out of this movie, that it is in the realm of possibilities that these fucktards might be waiting for me in the parking lot. Yeah. But they were not. But here's the thing. I loved Evan Hansen. I loved the movie Dear Evan Hansen. But I have no idea if it's because it was good or because the asshole teenagers fucking hated it. You know? Yeah. I don't know if I would have liked the movie if there weren't asshole teenagers surrounding me yelling homophobic slurs. Because they're like, fuck this fucking faggot movie, fucking faggots, I ain't no queer. And I'm like, well, fuck you. Now I love this movie, you fuck asses. Yeah. But, but I, I, so I think I, I loved Dear Evan Hansen, but I think I loved it out of spite. Yes. I don't think I liked it because it was any good. I, I mean, I mean, Ben Platt does a pretty good job. Uh, he does a great job. He, he, and there are parts of the movie that I absolutely love, like when they're writing, when they're writing uh, the, the letters that the dead kid allegedly wrote. That whole musical number is absolutely wonderful, and I love it. And I might put that song on my phone. But, yeah, I think I liked it out of spite. And then I came home, and I, I told uh, my wife about it, and then just got really fucking high. And that made me feel better. But, hey, this is a lesson learned. Don't go to a movie on opening night. Yes. This is what I have learned. And I will take what I have learned and bring it into the world. And so, uh, so yeah. So that's it for uh, Steve Stubbs this week. I'm not sure what I'm watching next week, but 
it's not going to be any repeats. I'm going to try and watch some new movies, some new up-to-date movie reviews. So join me next week for more Steve Stubbs of the Week. And cut on that. Bonnie! Yes! We still got a full podcast to get to. We have Bunny Versus, America's favorite podcast segment, coming up. That's our free-form segment. We have nothing planned. We just talk. Yes. And we talk about how high we are, talk about our week, talk about things we want to talk about. And then after that, we have Steve's historic approximations. And this week, we're going to be talking about another famous musical, and I'm really excited about it. And then this week's movie, El Topo, a film directed by Martin Scorsese about Italian gangsters, which, which I'm really excited about. El Topo, a movie all about a little mouse named Topo Gijo. Yes. El Topo Gijo. And his struggles so re- when he comes to America. Yeah, an amazing film. So, uh, oh, I, I've got a great game for us when we get to the movie. I'm so excited about it. Okay. But before we get to that, at maybe we should take a break. Should we take a break? We should take a break. I did not ask you, Eleanor. I asked Bonnie. Huh. Huff. I am in a huff. I, I agree, Bonnie. We will be right back with more of the Popon film after these messages. Do 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 got scratched by one of my pins. Skiddy pop a doo-wow and break! Color TV CB, call 645-1196 for the most ridiculous prices ever during Crazy Eddie's Christmas sale. In August? Huh, look at this. 
certified frustration free packaging hmm not not frustrating that's good I guess I just pull here and uh, damn it damn it damn it
The Death of Richie, the Special Edition. The Death of Richie is a 1977 made-for-TV movie, and now, with The Death of Richie Special Edition, now out on Blu-ray and DVD, you can watch The Death of Richie as it was originally meant to be. Gone are all of the old and outdated scenes of a young man struggling with a drug addiction, and in its place is the scene at the end of La Bamba where actor Isai Morales calls out for his brother. It's the Death of Richie Special La Bamba Edition. Gone are Robbie Benson, and in its place, one hour and 35 minutes of Isai Morales yelling for Richie. That's all it is, just Isai Morales yelling for Richie. Richie. Do you like seeing Mexicans yell for their dead brother? Of course you do. And now with the death of Richie, the special edition, you can watch one hour and 35 minutes of Isai Morales yelling for his brother. <laughs> That's right, Isai Morales. Richie! It's the death of Richie, the special edition. Richie! like these posts in the rants and raves section of the Oklahoma City Craigslist page because it, I, I guess it's just justifying my beliefs. People are horrible. The headline is USA and Mexico. Uh, Alright. Positive attitude towards this. I was visiting with a blood relative who was married to a Mexican. And the relative brought up Trump at the wall. The relative was irritated that Trump thinks Mexico will pay for the wall. Being a nice relative, I just listened and was told Mexico hates Trump. I feel as if I have stumbled onto something. Go Trump, go, baby, build that beautiful wall. So happy to be a brown-skinned individual in the Bible Belt. Gee, I feel so uh, welcomed and invited. Just feel so warm. People are treating me so nice here. Like, man, they make sure put their sights on me first. Like I have red dots all around me from their sniper rifles. Yay! I'm gonna get me a pickup truck and a dog and a shotgun. I'll start saying y'all. Be like Walter and come back next week or I'll kick your ass.
And we're back with more of the Pope on Film. Bunny. Yes. Are you ready for another exciting, pulse-pounding, uh, testicle-slapping installment of everyone's favorite podcast segment, Bunny Versus? Are you ready? Are you pumped? Are you amped? Are you jazzed? Are you psyched? Are you primed? Are you revved up? Do you, did you get your motor running? And are you ready to head out on the highway? Are you ready, Bunny? Are you ready? This episode well, of Bunny Versus shall open the gateways of Valhalla for me. Odin himself will kneel upon my continence. Or incontinence. Or... Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Well, without any further ado, it's time once again for Bunny Versus. And now here is your host, Bonnie Williams. Take it away, Bunny! Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how you doing, man? <sighs> besides the movie, the movie. Uh, yeah, I'm terror. doing all right. Uh, so right before last week's episode of the podcast, uh, a close. Uh, extended family member who lives in the same town and who I will not mention because they don't want their private business leaking out. A, uh, a person in our extended circle got the coronavirus yeah. because, oh, I, 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 I can't take the, the vaccine because I've heard that people get sick after the vaccine. And as a manager at work, I can't take a single day off. And so they tested positive for the coronavirus. And uh, the day before they tested positive, my wife and my youngest child spent a good amount of time at their house. Yeah. Which technically means that um, my wife and my youngest child now have to uh, quarantine because of possible COVID exposure. Yeah. And so they, my uh, youngest, who is in kindergarten this year, and they're not doing virtual school for kindergarten, so they had to go back into uh, in-person school. Yeah. Uh, they cannot go back to school until Thursday, September 30th. And so um, I got into a really good routine of teaching Maxwell, and now I have to teach Maxwell and Eleanor, and teaching Eleanor is very difficult because, again, for whatever reason, unlike last year, they're not doing virtual school for kindergartners, you have to bring them to an actual class. And so how am I supposed to teach this child if I have nothing to teach them? But uh, Eleanor's teacher is so nice yeah. that she stopped over twice to drop off things for them to do. Dropped off 
homework dropped off crafts, dropped off uh, paperwork, dropped off their school folders, and gave me a schedule of what they will be doing in class. And so I've been doing a really good job of teaching Maxwell, uh, what, fourth grade now? Yeah. Yeah? You're in fourth? And then teaching kindergarten to Eleanor and teaching them exactly what they're doing that day at school and doing crafts and stuff like that. So that's been really fun, but very difficult, but very entertaining. That's pretty much been my week of just now I'm teaching two kids and then trying to get Mal awake so that they can go be uh, juniors in high school. And so that's been a, a, uh, it's been a week. It has been a week. And then uh, our internet was down for the longest time. And then they came to fix the internet and it, and so the internet got fixed, and hey, we have the internet now. And then the day after that, oh, our internet company has a power outage. Okay. And so, it, like, once we got our internet fixed, there was an outage which slowed down our internet to a crawl. And so that was... And then our microwave stopped working. And I didn't realize how much of what I eat is dependent on one device. Yes. Until that device stopped working. And then the coffee machine is thankfully working fine, but the... And, and but just the, how awkward it makes you feel as yeah. well. Now, yeah. now, let me interject here because it's perfect timing. Yeah. Because right now I feel very awkward... And if you notice, it's kind of a different camera angle as well. I see that. Because we have a fold-up table. Okay? So okay. it's a coffee table in front of the couch that you can lift the top up and makes it more kind of like a desk. Yeah. And is really convenient to work on. Last night it broke. Okay. So now the top just will not come up anymore. So basically I have a normal coffee table, just like everybody else in the world, you know? Yeah. And it's fine. But because I'm used to it coming up, I feel really fucking awkward. Yeah, it, it, it's been really difficult for me this week, and it's like, oh man, I'm hungry. Well, I'll just make a bag of popcorn. Okay. Well, then I'll just warm up some leftovers from last. <sighs> well, I can just make a cup of noodles and. So, yeah, so that's been fun. And then the coffee machine is thankfully working, but the clock on the coffee machine is on the fritz now. So we can't, like, we can't set up a timer for the coffee machine to come on anymore and it's like is this step one of like a three-part procedure that leads to the coffee machine breaking because so much else in the house isn't working and so that's so everything's been breaking and that's been a lot of fun last yeah. week the water heater exploded and now our microwave isn't working and our 
Our oven is working okay, but it's not working at the temperatures it's supposed to. If it says, hey, warm up your, cook this for 20 minutes at 350, you got to put that up to 400 because the yeah. temperature is just not there. And we got to replace it, but we, we don't, it, it's an oven. It's a freaking oven. And so we're just trying to live with it while we can for as long as we can because that's going to be a bitch. So everything's breaking, and that's been so much fun. And then we figured out that Eleanor has been coughing really bad, and we're like, oh, oh no, is it COVID? Is it COVID? Oh, no, because we were exposed. Is it COVID? No, it's strep. So Eleanor has strep throat, and we're giving them medicine, which is ugh. And now my throat is starting to feel bad. And it's like, oh, and Natasha's like, oh, no, do you think you got strep? And it's like, well, I don't know. I have spent all of this week right next to Eleanor, who's been coughing directly in my face. So who knows? Yeah. But probably. Because they're just like, oh, no. Uh, like, Dad, if, I'm if you were a, If you were a betting man. Yeah. Yeah. So Eleanor's just there like, oh, I'm... Dad, I'm doing really good at writing the letter S. Look at this. S stands for snake, and S stands for Steve, and <coughs> right in my face. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I have strep throat, so that's really fun. Uh, so that's been my week, and then I had the worst movie-going experience of my life, going to see Dear Evan Hansen, and I thought I was going to get assaulted, so... Yeah. Fun! How are you doing, Bunny? I I am good. I, I like the jacket. Thank you. I'm a badass now. It's See, got this, is, patches this is more in pins. my style. Yeah. That's something I would wear. Yeah, I've got some I've got some patches, I've got some pins, I got the mummy here, and uh I've got two patches. This here is uh I, I did a story time from it. It's a Wolfman poster in Japanese. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love it, nice. and I'm gonna I'm gonna sew a uh, uh, I'm gonna sew a band on the back, so I really you know have the whole the whole jean situation. Yeah. Cool. I've really been playing it up at home, and I've been like, kids, how you doing? It's me, your rebellious badass father. Yeah. I'm a badass now. You see the jean vest? I'm yeah. a badass. So, uh, oh, you want me to uh, uh, fill up your water bottle? Well, guess what? I don't give a darn. That's right. I said darn. I'm a badass now. Well, but you so. still have to kind of be the, the the badass with the heart of gold type. Yeah, You know. absolutely. But, like, every time something disturbs you, you have to scream, You don't understand! My mother died! Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of badasses with uh, squirrel girl buttons. Yeah. So, I got that going for me, which is good. Yeah. So that, how are you? Other than that, uh... I finished Dabney's Interocitor, and it's looking really pretty cool. And nice. As oh. I was... 
as I was kind of finishing up the look in Dabney's yeah. apartment and all that, and readjusting the lights, which really do look a lot better, I wanted to show it to Jeannie. She had just got home, so she was having a cigarette and, like, unwinding after work. And I go in there and I talk to her for a little bit, and I tell her about the interocitor, <clears throat> which now is a good time to tell her what an interocitor is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably something you should do. And Friday nights is usually where, you know, it, it, it's more our time. Or it's yeah. at least evolved that way, you know. So yeah. Friday we'll order like Grubhub or DoorDash or something like that for dinner. And we'll try to find a good movie, something that we could both enjoy. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, you know what? And so like I'm sitting there and I'm trying to explain an interocitor and I was just like... <clears throat> fuck it, let's just watch this Island Earth for our Friday movie. And I don't know yep. where this mental connection came from, but something about this Island Earth said, ooh, and we should make tinfoil hats. We should have yeah, DoorDash, not... watch this Island Earth, and make tinfoil hats. Yeah, I'm not sure where that connection is either, but it's a good look for you. And somehow, like, even you, though you don't understand the connection, you know the feeling. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. And <clears throat> so that's what we did. Uh, wore tinfoil hats. And I figured that this was a good place to wear it. It is. I'm it is. thinking. I'm thinking. Uh, maybe. Maybe I'm going to work on improvements. You know. Yeah. It, it, I like the antennae. Kick-ass tinfoil hats. Can we come up with? I like the antennae. They look very. Uh, they look very antish, like Ant Manian. I, I just bent them during the show because as I was looking at myself in the hat, it was like, if I bend them, I can shoot lasers from them. Yeah. 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 And I like that idea. <clears throat> so Dabney's Interocitor is done. Uh, I have recorded some of the script I need. I have the end animation done for the end bit and I just gotta like piece it together because now I realize I gotta have some rolling credits you know yeah starring that and this it, it just needs that to be a complete show uh, so I'm just finishing up that part then I'll stick it together and then the end will be done then I have to do the middle of the first episode but it should all go a lot quicker than this first episode. Yay! Because, like, the end, I, the, I, the end, I think, looks really good. Really good. Um, and I didn't start it until, like, 11.30 last night after pulling together everything I need for the show. 
Yeah. You know? So, so like, sometime around 11.30, I was like, all right, let's just work on some of the animation. I'm not doing anything else. It's time for it. And although I was up late, I finished the animation and got it rendered, started it rendering before I went to bed. Nice. I mean, that was, like, five in the morning, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love the water. Oh, well, yeah. good. So that's that's basically it. There's nothing exciting to report. Other than that, uh, I I I I'm looking forward to your reaction to El Topo. I want to hear what you have to say. Uh. Trying to save it. Huh? Trying to save it. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you got on the chat board today? Uh, we're going to be talking about a very famous musical and its most vocal critic. Okay. It's going to be good. It's a short one, but it's a good one. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Well, let's get on over there in that case. Alrighty. I don't have any kind of bit prepared, nothing in particular to talk about, <clears throat> so... This is Bunny Williams saying... Self-adhesive tape? Yes, please. I love that bit. And cut on that. Cut on that. Bunny! Yes. If you're like me, then you're no doubt a big fan of this podcast, The Pope on Film. I mean, who isn't nowadays? Everyone's talking about it. It's the talk of the town. But only real fans, true hardcore fans that have been with us since the beginning, only they would know uh, two facts about us. Two undeniably really real and in no way made up on the spot facts about the both of us, America's hottest will they or won't they couple. Yes. The new yes. Sam and Diane. <coughs> it's Bunny and Steve. First and foremost, the first fact, Bunny, is that you design lingerie for plus sized women. What drew you to this profession? Uh, a deep love for Cass Elliot to begin with. Nice. You know, nice. Uh, it is a shame that her her life was cut short, uh, and then people had to make <clears throat> a lot of fat jokes over it. So yes, that was an inspiration for me, um, and one of the big ones. Uh, That's a powerful uh, one. No pun intended. Yes, yes, of course. And, and the I, second thing. Yes, go ahead. Okay. And the second thing that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do here is I like to take a story from the history books and reword it via my own unique panache. So that's what this is, another <coughs> educationally uneducational installment of Stage Historic Approximation! <coughs> Dun, 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 dun. 
Good job, Bunny. Good job. Thank you. you. You powered through, and I'm proud of you. Or Shap, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name Shap, and I really like the segment. I like it so much that I think Shap should be an adjective. Yeah. Like a teacher, a history teacher is in the zone, dropping some mad knowledge, and the students, they go, oh, Shap. There you go. Boom. Coined and minted. Soon Shap will be sweeping the nation. Anywho, this week on the old Shappity Shap Shap, we will be talking about two things. The musical Hamilton and its most vocal critic. And to do that, we need to talk about two important individuals. Two very important individuals. So first off, let's start with the first Shap subject, Lin-Manuel Miranda. What an amazing story he has. What an incredible life. Born in 1492, freer of the slaves and the first president of this country, though sadly impeached for the shooting of Abe Lincoln. Oh, wait, hold on. I fucked that up. Okay. Lin-Manuel Miranda, the founder of Jeet Kune Do, who fled to this country from Hong Kong after killing a man. Yes. Oh, wait, that's Bruce Lee. Okay. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda, playwright, musician, a man who wrote two successful Broadway plays all by himself. So take that, Andrew Lloyd Webber. And won a Pulitzer Prize for one of them. He was born in New York City in 1980 to a fairly well-off family. His mom was a consultant for the Democratic Party, and his dad was a successful psychologist. And then Lin-Manuel Miranda apparently has an older sister who is the CFO of a massive consulting firm. So I'm a fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. But I am also radicalized enough. I'm enough of a leftist trash to see that Lin-Manuel Miranda was born into a life of privilege. And as a result of that, Lin-Manuel Miranda was, giving up, was given opportunities that us normies could never get. Yes. But that's beside the point. Anywho, nowadays, I don't know if you know this, funny, but nowadays Lin-Manuel Miranda is basically owned by the Disney Corporation. Yeah. Uh, he wrote... Is he uh, animatronic? I, he might be. He might be. I've always <laughs> kind of had a, had a sneaking suspicion. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he wrote a bunch of the songs for Moana, and he wrote a song for a Star War, and he wrote all of the music for Disney's upcoming animated film Encanto, which is coming out around Thanksgiving... He starred in the sacrilegious Mary Poppins sequel, and Disney Plus paid him handsomely for the rights to the filmed uh, version of the stage production of his musical Hamilton. And speaking of Hamilton, let's talk about this for a moment, shall we? Okay. I, um... I was a fan of Hamilton, and I still am a fan of Hamilton. There are some songs on there that are oh, real you, bangers. You, you went for the big dive, yeah. You were into yeah, Hamilton I was a really, lot. 
I was into Hamilton before before everybody else was. I hate to be that guy, but I was into Hamilton before Ham everyone was before Hamilton swept the nation. Yes. But so much time has passed since Hamilton first came out that it's a really good time to take a good deep subjective look at this musical and what it means. And I firmly believe that no musical or I dare say no sing, no one single work of art truly personifies the Obama administration better than the musical Hamilton, which was released during the uh, Obama administration. I feel that the Obama administration and Hamilton are tied together okay. because uh, when you look at the musical Hamilton, there's unity and there's hope and there's inclusion and there's a cast of minorities that are acting out the founding of America in the hopes of uh, reinventing the founding of America in the eyes of a new generation, making American history, which is oftentimes racist, making that history inclusive to all people Plus, there's some really banger songs in it, so there you go. Hamilton, the blockbuster musical. And the reason why I feel that it represents the Obama administration is that the Obama was president, and the Democrats sold America on unity. Yes. We finally have a black president, so everyone is equal now. And the news in the media were like, Racism isn't a thing anymore. And, and they, everyone kept writing bits about post-racial America. Yeah. <clears throat> now that we have a black president, oh, racism has just fucking disappeared. Ooh, no one is fucking racist anymore. We live in a post-racial fucking America. Oh, everyone is united. But while the Democrats are selling the entire nation on unity, these shitty fucking Republicans block all meaningful change. The White House is, is starting intense drone strikes that are killing innocent people. The war on drugs continues. If anything, it's cranked up to 11. Yeah. And the current rise of violent far-right groups and the neo-Nazis that are marching on America's streets can all be traced back to white animosity over our country's first black president and all of these white power groups are forming while the media and the Democrats are going, oh, we have a black president. Fucking racism isn't a thing anymore. And and like, I'm left-leaning liberal trash, as the review of our podcast says on Apple Podcasts. Yes. So, so uh, I'm left-leaning liberal trash, and I'm a big-time Obama supporter. And yet, in all reality, Obama sold us on hope and change, but managed to deliver very little. And like the Obama administration, the play Hamilton is pretty on the outside, but in reality, all of 
most of our nations, almost all of our nation's founding fathers were racist asshole pieces of trash, and maybe they don't deserve to be rehabilitated. Yeah. You know? Maybe we shouldn't be spending time to rehabilitate these people. And maybe we should show some of these founding fathers for the assholes that they really are, you know? Yeah. So, and, and frankly, for me, Jefferson is my biggest heartbreak. Because it's like, like, because it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, how yeah. can you write such beautiful, intricate, and important documents concerning freedom and liberty and have slaves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, what the fuck? Like, okay, like, I can kind of accept the other founding fathers as kind of ignorant peasants. Yeah. You know? I mean, George Washington was a military guy. I mean, there's not a lot of him in the crafting of the country. You know what I mean? So yeah. him having slaves is like, well, you're just still ignorant, you know. You, but Thomas Jefferson is anachronistic, where like your and behavior does not align with your beliefs at all. Yeah, and and like when I was in college and like in my twenties and thirties, I'm like, oh man. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a real fucking asshole. But now, all I can think about is the opening to Act Two of Hamilton, because that song is fucking wonderful. Yeah. And I hate that. I hate that the uh, racism and crimes of Benjamin Franklin are being uh, uh, pushed down in favor of a great fucking song and now that's what I think of when I think of Benjamin Franklin. This is the problem with the musical Hamilton. So that brings us to our second Shap subject and a surprising one. Author Toni Morrison. Alright. Toni Morrison was a, a black female author essayist, decorated college professor. She won the Pulitzer Prize in 1987 for her now legendary book, Beloved. And then in 1993, she won the Nobel Prize in Literature. Her writings were a powerful look, not just at the black experience, but at the human experience in general. And Toni Morrison, she was one of, she is still to this day, one of the prominent black authors of all time, period. She was a legend. She is right up there with some of the big names in all of American literature. And while she was alive, she fucking hated the musical Hamilton. Okay. She hated it. Absolutely hated it. Uh, And for all of the reasons 
that we just said. So when Toni Morrison heard that legendary poet and playwright Ishmael Reed was, go, was considering writing a play attacking the musical Hamilton, Toni Morrison basically became fry in Futurama and said, shut up and take my money. Yeah. Uh, Toni Morrison became the second largest financial backer of the anti-Hamilton play. Okay. Shit, how much do you want? Let me get my checkbook. You're writing a play about Lin-Manuel Miranda attacking Hamilton? Shit. Just (laughs) let me make it rain because I fucking hate that. The play was a Lin-Manuel Miranda take on a Christmas carol called The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm sorry, but um, I can't just call him Lin, and I can't just call him Lin-Manuel, and I can't call him Mr. Miranda. I have to do the full thing. You have to. Yes. So I feel that I've said the name Lin-Manuel Miranda. In the same way is that you just have to say Taika Watiti. Yes, yes, absolutely. You can't just say Taika. Yeah, yeah, same thing. The only person that can just call him Taika is Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. No one else can. Even like, even like Flight of the Concords still have to use the full name. Yeah. And they're also Kiwis. So I feel, so anyway, I feel like I've said the name William Manuel Miranda like 30 times in this one segment alone, and it's driving me insane. But uh, the play was called The Haunting of Lin Manuel Miranda. It got performed in 2019, and in the play, Lin Manuel Miranda is visited by the ghosts of the founding fathers, the real asshole racist piece of shit founding fathers and not the entertaining rapping musical founding fathers from his musical and by the end of the play Lin-Manuel Miranda has learned the error of his ways. Playwright Ishmael Reed told currentaffairs.org this about his play quote they cast black people in order to defend projects that black people might find objectionable. It distracts from the racism of the white historical characters. And I love that. I love that so much. And I find it fascinating because I I did have a big Hamilton phase where I was obsessed with it. And I do still like it. And I, uh, I am not throwing away my shot. I fucking love that song. And it's a fucking banger. But... Uh, the Founding Fathers were all trash and a lot of them should not be made into canonized saints for a younger generation. And I'm really excited about the fact that slowly but surely American society is finally waking up from Hamilton. You know? Yeah. Like, I remember when I was a younger lad and everyone's like, oh man, have you seen this exciting new musical called Rent? And that was the cool musical for the young kids. And then we as a society 
grew past that. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that it might be one of those things where America is slowly but surely moving past Hamilton. And I wonder if eventually they do make a live-action musical version of Hamilton, and by that time people are treating it the same way that they're currently treating Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. Like, oh, how old is Lin-Manuel Miranda now? Maybe he shouldn't be in Hamilton anymore. <laughs> Ugh, Hamilton, <coughs> it's kind of like cats again. Are they going to de-age him in the, in the first act? So, hey, yeah. So, See, anywho. Hamilton was, was not one of my favorite founding fathers. You know? Yeah. He was pushing for an America that was more shaped like a monarchy and set up the banking system pretty much. So, you know, not a huge fan of... Hamilton, and I remember even at the time when we were talking about putting Harriet Tubman on the money, I don't know what the fuck happened to that. Briefly, there was talk about putting it on the 10. Because the play Hamilton wasn't a thing yet. Everyone's like, what? Yeah. Uh, Hamilton was on the 10, and it was pre the musical Hamilton. And so everyone's like, if we're going to put Harriet Tubman on a bill, put it on Alexander Hamilton. Who the fuck is that? All we know is that he was killed by Aaron Burr in a duel because of the first ever got milk ad. Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like when a celebrity gets cut down in their prime, you know? Like, Farrah Fawcett became one of the greatest actresses ever after she died. Yeah. More so than any of her acting performances can justify. You know? Yeah. We have been willing to turn in the other direction when it comes to Michael Jackson now that he's dead. Yeah, that motherfucker got canonized. That motherfucker. He was alive and he's like... Michael Jackson is living in Saudi Arabia in the castle of a prince and he named his kid Blanket and he's holding him off of a balcony and like, oh my god, Michael Jackson is a weirdo. He is an absolute weirdo. Oh wait, he's dead? Don't you dare make fun of Michael Jackson! Yeah. I loved him for his entire life and he was a genius! It it, it upsets me. It upsets me. So I think we remember Al- we remember Alexander Hamilton more favorably than is due him because yeah. he was shot and he gets that like kind of celebrity benefit like oh, don't say anything about Alexander Hamilton he was shot yeah <laughs> you know and I remember when they were talking about put him on the money and like I was like. Yeah, okay, put you could you could put him on the ten put Harriet Tubman on the ten. And I was like Andrew Jackson as far as I was aware of at that point in my life was pretty much he was like one of the more fun presidents. He was he was more akin to Teddy Roosevelt 
than any of the founding fathers, so I was like, oh, don't put her on the 20, put her on the 10, Hamilton was a waste, and then I was like, then I found out a whole lot of shit about Thomas Jefferson, uh, not Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, and I was like, yeah, let's put, let's, let's put Harry Tubman on the 20. <laughs> In know? 2012? If we choose between the two. <laughs> yeah. In and 20... Andrew Jackson, way fucking worse. Yeah. Seventh president, Andrew Jackson. Fun fact, pre-Hamilton, someone made a rock opera called Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, imagine Tommy, except Tommy is <laughs> a crazy-ass, batshit, insane, vaguely racist president. Yeah. I saw a documentary about the making of it, like, sometime last year, and I find it fascinating that before Hamilton became a massive hit, someone wrote an Andrew Jackson rock opera, and it failed and burnt it 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 crashed and burned and it's like oh man that's weird no one should ever make a rock opera about oh my god hamilton this is brilliant no one's ever done anything like this before so yeah yeah. it's interesting that you should mention that bloody bloody andrew jackson is the name of the fucking musical i mean do do like the british do this i mean do they have like do they have like these epic historic plays about their previous kings? You know, and things like I don't that. Know. I, I don't I don't think so. I mean they certainly pay them respect. Yeah. But like I don't think it's in this extreme, man. I mean like Like, you can watch 1776 and be like, yeah, this isn't real. Yeah. You know, these are highly polished, one-dimensional characters. Yeah. Who sing catchy tunes. God, I remember that musical. That was a weird-ass musical. 1776. Yeah. It was always on TV on a Sunday. It was a Sunday movie. Yeah. And it was starring the voice of Kit from Knight Rider. That's weird. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. So, so, (laughs) I totally forgot. I thought we were still doing Bunny Versus for a second. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's it for... That's it for uh, Steve's Historic Approximations this week. Join us next week for more educationally uneducational fun with Steve's Historic Approximations! And cut on that. I've got, I've got this drawing right here next to my workspace. And I'm really proud that I still kept this because it's my review of the Inhumans. Okay. And it was a drawing I made, and it's a meme, and this is Marvel looking at TVs and humans, and it says, is this X-Men? And this was my review of the TV show Inhumans, and I just have it right here on the side, and I look at it all the time, and it, and 
it reminds me of the podcast, and I love it. Nice. Uh, okay. Funny. Yes. Uh, we still have a movie to talk about. A uh, film that uh, I guess is okay. I mean... <laughs> It's no Manos, the hands of fate, but if you're bored, I mean, it'll it'll do the job. I mean, it's no stopper, my mom will shoot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's okay. I'm waiting for the sequel. Uh, El Topo <coughs> versus the Velocipaster. Yes. When are we going to do a good movie like Velocipaster? Have you heard of that film? It's about a it's about a priest that gets bitten by a dinosaur and can now yes. transform into a velociraptor. Is it a western, though? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely oh. not. No. But I'm just saying, we need to watch a good movie like Velocipaster and not El, El Topo. <laughs> but, uh, but before we get to this week's movie, maybe we should take a break. Should Is she asleep? Yeah. Oh, no shit. Okay. Eleanor's asleep. That's surprising. Uh, should we take a break? We should take a break. Okay. I concur. We will be right back with... Kill the infidels. Yes, my lord. I will obey as soon as I get out of here. Sing you a song 
Minstrel cramps. There's another guy I'm coming up on. Minstrel cramps. The irritation. Oh no, please don't. Oh, this was my favorite onion. The diary. I have to go. 
Oh, shut up, get out. She's saying mommy's cramping. Now. Minstrel cramps. She's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Where the fuck is the chocolate? The pain. Minstrel cramps. The most common cause of menstrual cramps is stress. No shit. Hey, try these. Does this really help? It does when you do it, right? It's your uterus that's stressed. Don't live in pain? Call 1-800-555-9969 and order Dr. Rod's Super Powered Vagina Balls. Just three easy payments of $59.99. 1-800-555-9969. Operator standing by. Order now. Hello, Tim's mom? Have you seen Tim anywhere? He's not here at the studio and I'm beginning to worry. 911? Hello, Queen of Germany? And I'm hungry. Actually, I'm more hungry than worried. You can forget about worried altogether. Yes, it's an emergency. My friend is missing and I'm sandwichless. What, what kind of sandwiches you got over there in Germania? Who the hell are you calling a brat? Could you make me a sandwich? I like mayonnaise on both sides of the bread. Miracle Whip? What kind of possessed hellhound are you? Sandwichless! S-A-N-D-W-I-C-H-L-E-S-S! -S -S. Do you understand, motherfucker? Hello? 911? Hello? Maybe I should call 912. I hear you're getting a lot of hits on Tinder. Nice. No one will not let you cover me in mustard and sauerkraut, you pervert! Wait, wait, wait. Is that in Germanian dollars? Yeah. Yeah, now we're talking. I have to tell you something. I'm only a myth. And until next week, I'll be mything you.
Okay. Oh, you, oh man. Oh, the legendary Planning of Lettuce, which has been copied so many times. Uh, oh, the pigs, of course. Well, you know, the pigs represent men's duality here. Uh, you know, see the violence reminiscent of Peckinpah. Notice the use of paint instead of blood, which is, of course, uh, indicative of the French masters of cinema. Fucking, I'm smelling my own asshole right now. This, this is, this, this, this movie, um, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, this movie's fine. And are, are we're we back <laughs> okay. with more of the Pope on Film. Act three, Bunny! Act three! Act three! Yes, Bunny, my friend, it is time once again for all of us here at the Pope on Film podcast to cabbage patch our way into the third act of the show. And it is said third act where we finally get around to discussing our one and only movie of the week. And this week, we continue our summer of bad movies with an atrocious stinker of a film from director Yui Bowl, a hideous film based on an 80s video game called El Topo. <laughs> I am pretty sure that I'm the only person in the history of podcasts to ever say, Yui Bowles El Topo. Once again, the Pope on Film podcast making history. Yes. So, uh... I'm just kidding, of course. This is a Joe Dorowski film. I am not a fan of westerns, usually, because... Yes. As a brown man, I exist in Westerns only as a bad guy to be shot at. So I usually steer clear of the world of Westerns. As far as I'm concerned, there is only one good Western in the history of mankind, and it's called The Terror of Tiny Town! Yes! As far as I'm concerned, that's the only good Western. Oh, also, uh... Uh, when I was little, my dad but, and I used to watch... But Jodorowsky does definitely turn that theme around yes, as these are consistently oh. the people who need to be protected. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there was another Western I used to watch all the time. What was it called? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Back to the Future 3. But that that's not it. Uh... <laughs> uh Arnold Schwarzenegger is the hero, and Kirk Douglas? Kirk Douglas is the villain? And he's dressed all in black, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's dressed all in white, and the entire thing is basically a live-action uh, uh, Roadrunner Wiley Coyote cartoon? Yeah. And I think it's called The Villain, if I'm not mistaken? And my dad loved it. It was one of his favorite films, and he would make me watch it with him all the time. And I loved it as a kid because it was so fucking stupid slapstick Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. And it was Arnold Schwarzenegger before he was, like, a big, huge star, so he barely talks in it. It's mostly just the 
wearing black, twirling his mustache villain, and like kidnapping the woman and tying her to the railroad tracks. Uh, the the woman might have been Anne Margaret. Now that I think about it, but that was technically a western. But it was more like a western parody. Like I don't want to call Blazing Saddles a western. Yeah. So I don't think that this movie was a western. But I don't know westerns too well. But uh, that's where we're going. For 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 a couple of weeks. Uh. So every, every and, and summer... neither and neither am I. I mean, like these are probably like the f- basically the four westerns I like. Although yeah. that's not exactly true. I mean, Tombstone is a good movie. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a handful of others, but like, I I think that. The ones that are my finds in the genre, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're getting here. And I, I... I figured we would start at the top. Yeah. And then we're going to gradually come down. Okay, so there are, there are three times throughout the year where well four times there there are four times throughout the year where we go for a theme in march it's my birthday month and i try and uh just show movies that i really really like and then during the summer we do an entire theme summer and and we watch uh, uh movies in a specific theme we took deep dives into the imdb bottom 100 yeah this past summer the summer before that uh Fred Willard had just died, which was wonderful for our podcast because we just watched Fred Willard films and it was the best. And then during Christmas, we try and watch whatever weird Christmas movies we can find. And then at at the end, we watch the same Christmas movie that we always watch. And then for October and the weeks around October, Bunny takes over and October is Bunny's birth month. So we watch whatever he wants. And this month, we are focusing on... Westerns, Bunny. Uh, well, uh, well, 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 well. Also, the thing is, is that during my month, one of the things I want to do, or try to do, during our during my month, is go places where we would not normally go. Yeah. And take a bit of a different direction with some kind of a theme like this, and in particular westerns, because I think, like I said, I think it's probably both of our least favorite genres to the yes, point where absolutely. westerns like never even come up in conversation you know did you see did you see this week speaking of our uh, you know our themed our themed um months and the times that we have a specific theme fucking uh melvin van peebles just died i know and I was shocked because I didn't realize he was still alive. But I was shocked. And, and Natasha's like, "What? Who's Melvin Van Peebles?" And I'm like, "Melvin Van Peebles. He directed Watermelon Man and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song." Mm-hmm. That was that was a whole summer, and that was wonderful. That was a whole October. And yes, it was, it was fucking awesome. So, uh, so yeah, uh, 
oh, this this is a if you say we're going to be looking at westerns, I immediately roll my eyes so back. They just roll so far back into me that I I can suddenly see my kidneys. But this is a good, a very good choice, a good, intriguing way to start with westerns. Because yeah, I yeah fucking hate because... westerns. I always I always felt it was an old a, a white man thing that I just didn't understand. Because but this is the way Joe to get Dabrowski... me. And Jodorowsky is kind of the Alan Moore of film. Yeah. Okay. okay. Where yeah, they I are both that. basically wizards, occultists, whatever exactly you would want to call them. Uh, I think. I think Alan Moore prefers wizard. I don't know about Jodorowsky, maybe magician. Yeah. Which then makes their work more of a facade for something that they are trying to say. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And okay. So, like, it, like, this is a mystic journey that has a western kind of painted over it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I'm so happy that we did the Holy Mountain uh, three years ago. I looked it up because that prepared me for this. And I'm like, I don't know what El Topo is. I've never seen this before. But I have seen Joe Dorowski's Holy Mountain. I am prepared for a Joe Dorowski western. You yes. know? And, and and like, yeah, there's midgets having sex. Now, and me, now me personally, I prefer Holy Mountain. Oh yes, absolutely. To El Topo, but I also think that it is probably that kind of human effect as to whatever comes first. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like. Like, uh, everyone says that SNL isn't funny anymore, and when you ask them when was the last time SNL was funny, it was when you were 14 or 16 or 18 years old. Yeah. Whatever SNL you grew up with is the funniest SNL. Right, or whatever movie you watched that you fell in love with, the remake is never going to do it. The remake is never going to live up to that movie. I am still so surprised at how many people seriously love and enjoy the original Space Jam. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I, don't you dare make fun of Space Jam. That's a great movie. It's like, yeah, when you were eight. Yeah. Fucking. Look at Back to the Future now. There's a shit ton of incest. Yeah. It's just creepy. For me, just for me personally, and I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but I am really trying to disconnect the word like from the idea of something being good. Yeah. And dislike yeah. 
for something being bad, because that's not necessarily the case. There are James, good things that I like, but they don't become good because I like them. James Wan's latest horror movie, Malignant, I liked that. I really liked that. But I am in no way saying that it's any fucking good. It is yes. a piece of shit that I really liked. Yeah. Uh -huh. Totally get that. Totally get that. Funny. So here's an easy thing for you to do. Explain to us the plot of this week's film. Okay. Well, Jodorowsky on a certain level is a find-your-own-adventure kind of filmmaker. Okay, so I can give you the movie and the plot that I saw but there's not much reason to believe that it's the movie that you saw, which is really what I like about Jodorowsky's work. But this was, once again, a mystical journey that the gunslinger was going on. IMDb and Wikipedia told me that uh, uh, the gunslinger then goes off in search of four other gunslingers to kill to earn Maria's affection. And each gunslinger is representative of a different religion. And I had a hard time with that because it's like, okay, the first one's fucking Mexican Jesus. I can see that clear as fucking day. Who the fuck are these other motherfuckers? Yeah. I had the fucking, like... Way to not explain that to me, Wikipedia, because I don't know who the fuck these other guys are. One of them's fucking a Russian Cossack fucking gypsy pikey person. The other one is fucking rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of... A lot of but, but those are things that, like, I accept from a Jodorowsky movie, just kind of yeah. walking in, that there's going to be a lot of shit that maybe I never get. There was a lot of animal symbolism going on here that I really don't know what that was about. But well, for the overall plot, he was on a spiritual journey and has many failings. Yeah. And well, reaches an enlightenment point yeah. and becomes a savior to a people. Well, speaking that's the as... Rough, that's the rough plot of this movie from my perspective. Yeah. But you could drive a truck through my fucking perspective. Yes. Well, speaking as someone who did go to a strict Catholic school for eight years with nuns and priests and uh, uh, bishops and monsignors... I can say that there are things in El Topo that are symbolic, but then there are just things that aren't, you know, symbolic. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. And let me tell you, you have not lived until you've stripped a priest down and rode him around your village like a horse. Yes. That's just a fun afternoon. Yes. I used to do that all the time. You haven't lived until you've seen a priest and be like, I'm going to rub my blood on your lips. That's just something you do. Yes. To a priest, you know? Also, um, 
man, I remember in 1994 when I had just turned seven and my dad made me bury my first toy in the desert. Yes. That's that that is something that, you know, when you grow up in the desert, like I while I was trying to take a crap in this hole. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it, it there are some things in this movie that creep me out, but yeah, somewhere somewhere in the deserts of Arizona, there's a talking alf doll, is what I'm saying. Yeah. My my childhood. I'm just kidding. Because what I just said would imply that my dad took me somewhere and did something with me. Yes. So, JK, dad <coughs> hates me. Um, El Topo. What can we say about this movie that hasn't already been said by a douchebag from Portland? Yeah. Uh. Uh. Fucking. There are some things in this movie that 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 creep me out. Like number one, when I see a western, I usually don't want the first thing I see to be a young boy's penis. Call me crazy. Yeah. Uh, that was a bit of a shocker. Uh, and also, but it was still fun... it was still made in the time period where that was acceptable. And then there's the fact that I I looked at the credits. The <laughs> naked boy, uh, the the director Joe Dorowski, Joe Dorowski. Yeah. He stars in the film. And the naked boy is his own son. Yes. And there are... I can't think of any other directors that could get away with... I need to make a western, but first... My son must be nude in it! Like, who the fuck gets away with that? I... I... Okay, okay. Like, like okay, Kevin Spacey. Dial it back a bit. I, I, I... Yes, I understand there is a certain amount of creep factor to it. Uh, but I still have to give that award to Dario Argento. Yes. Who cast his daughter and then directed her through actual sex scenes in his movie. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I know. Like, like, uh, how do you, honey, you're not doing that right. Yeah, Sweetheart, speaking of the... Daddy needs to see you really get down on that cock. Like, like... Ugh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so... And, yeah. And speaking of the creep factor, I'd like to you talk know, a little all, bit about... All, all Jodorowsky here did is cast his son, because that's certainly preferable than casting somebody else's son for this part. Yeah. And all yeah. he was was a naked boy in a to time begin. and space where that was fairly acceptable. Yeah. For a child of his age. I watched the movie, and then I was confused about the movie, so I watched it a second time, but this time I pulled up. Am I huh? just reading that? No. No, you're not. What do you think, babe? Um, just the, just yeah. the nudity of the child. Yeah, like, that would be a difficult part to cast. If it was more <laughs> appropriate in the oh, 70s yeah, when it was made. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, I watched the movie, 
And then I was confused about the movie, so I watched it a second time. And the second time, I pulled up the Wikipedia plot synopsis. Yeah. But that is weird because the first 35 minutes are explained with two sentences. Yeah. And the last five minutes of the movie are uh, described with two paragraphs. <laughs> so that was difficult. And it's like, shit, there's two paragraphs left in the plot? There's fucking six minutes left. Yeah. Fuck is gonna happen in the last six minutes. So, um, speaking of the creep factor, uh, when this movie came out in the year 1970, Joe Dorowski repeatedly said in interviews that during the rape scene, that wasn't acting, and he actually raped the actress in real life. According to the director, who repeatedly said this, he actually hit her and raped her, and that scene is one... 100% real and unsimulated. Then in okay. 2019, in, then in 2019, because Joe Dorowski, which is too long, so I'm just going to call him Jodo for the rest of the film. Your boy Jodo. Um, apparently, Jodo is very much still alive. And in 2019, he said, Yes, I was just being surreal then. That was just words. But they were just that words they had no truth i don't know why people took my words as truth i was just trying to expand people's consciousness and what the fuck kind of apology is that this is this is from jodorowsky yes yes really he is now trying to like walk back his repeated comments about the rape scene being real and saying that it was simulated and it was just acting but him being Jodorowsky, he's like, oh, I was just being surreal with language, and that was just words, but the words weren't truth, and I wish that people didn't take my words literally because they are just surreal, and it's like, dude, you can just say I was lying. <laughs> the fuck, Jodo? Number one, <coughs> and number two, you think Trump could do that? A you think Trump could be like, you think Trump could be like, yes, I, I said that, I, that the election was stolen, but I was just trying to be surreal, okay? It's just words. Yes. It's just words, not truth. And what is a word? Oh, so, well, Trump has certainly got away with similar. Yeah, he absolutely did. Yeah. But yeah, no, El Topo feels like uh So so what is have we heard from the actress? I mean I don't know. Did I don't he? know. I haven't I haven't found I've found very little information about her. I mean cuz cuz he is still a goofy artist and he's going to say stupid shit. Okay. Uh you said goofy artist. Um I would like to go onto a fun little detour. I assume that Jodo was dead, but he's very saying, much alive. Saying, no, 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 no. Goofy artist, definitely. I'm not saying what he, what he, what he said was good or right or anything like that. Yeah, but, but you would not um, be terribly surprised <clears throat> if you found out Salvador Dali said something similar. Yeah, you yeah. know that makes sense. That makes sense. Right. But somebody, I, uh, I would, somebody who was trying to be out on the edge. edge. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I'd like to take a little detour, if I can, because okay. I assume that Jodorowsky was dead, but Jodo's very much alive. He has a YouTube channel. Yeah. He hasn't posted anything in two years on the YouTube channel, but he has posted a lot of things. He does a lot of tarot card readings. He answers questions. He has posted such great videos as the following, and these are the titles of actual videos that okay. Jodo has done on his YouTube channel. How do I shapeshift? Okay. Why am I still alive? And my favorite, how to not feel like an extraterrestrial most of the time with friends and family. Yeah. That last one, I relate to like a motherfucker. <laughs> I'd like to think that of all the podcasts, of all the videos, of all of the people out there talking about Joe Dorowski and his importance and uh, El Topo and the yeah. Holy Mountain and how uh, the symbolism and deconstructing it and talking about its importance that out of all of those people, we're the ones cussing the most. <laughs> like to think that people aren't 100% ready for like a Mexican with blue hair going, Joe Dorowski? Yeah, that fucking guy. That fucking guy. His movies are fucking weird as shit. Fucking motherfucker. They are. Motherfucker they are. doing art. They are weird as shit. And that's that's really what I love about them. As far yeah. as, as, as watching his YouTube channel, like, okay, no, 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 no. I'm a fan. I'm not a follower. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like, but like I have I have this weird relationship where I respond very well to things that have an occult theme, as Joe yeah. work does. But I'm still an atheist. I still think it's horseshit. You know, yeah. but I find yeah. the metaphors and things like that very interesting. Yeah. Well, I was watching Joe YouTube channel. And and just blown away at the fact that he's still alive. And that got me thinking is that if if Jodo Jodor, like a like a Game of Thrones character, if Jodor yeah. is still alive, that means he's still available to direct some movies. Yeah. And I thought Hollywood should come a knocking on Jodor's door. Well, and but they maybe let him do Dune. No, but this is this is my pitch. You get Joe Dorowski and just give him the reins of some major movie franchises. Yeah. And just see what he does. Just give him some major Hollywood movie franchises and find out what the fuck he does with them. Come on, Hollywood, grow some balls. Don't be wussies and give Joe Dor the key. So I have three ideas. Yeah. And while I'm telling you these ideas, feel free to uh, come up with some own, with, with, with some of your own. I combine that in, into some own. It, it, feel free to think of some of your own if you want to. But okay. here's the first one. Here's the first one. Joe Dorowski's 007. And so, you know, uh, Bond shows up, not in an Aston Martin, on a horse. And he's going to 
the 007, the His Majesty's Secret Service headquarters, and of course yeah. it's in a pyramid. Of course it's in a pyramid, and right. uh, and Q is there, but Q is naked, and Q says, "Bond, we need you to kill," and Bond says, "I can kill." Okay, wait, wait, but wait, 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 have a bit in his mouth while he's trying to explain this. Yes. Yes. So that they are having this dialogue to the point where they are only able to communicate through uh, telepathy and symbolism. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's a. Because you can't a understand a fucking word he's saying with a bit in his mouth. Yeah, there's porcupines everywhere. What does that mean? Yes. You'll have to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's porcupines and candles everywhere. I like the porcupines. And, yeah, and... The porcupines uh, are a nice touch. And Q says, Bond, we need you to kill. And Bond says, well, I can kill, but can I live? Can anyone live? And what is death but an extension of life? And what is life but a long prequel to death. And yeah. Q just says, let's make love. And then they fuck. And that's the end of the movie. Boom! Jodorowsky's 007. <laughs> so here's another one. This one I'm really proud of. Okay? okay? Here's my second one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Jodorowsky's. Okay. So, the, the beginning is totally normal. And it's the regular... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they're riding skateboards through the sewer, and radical, bodacious, gnarly, bro. Let's go eat some pizza. What? Shredder's going to attack? We're gonna go, Master Splinter. So they go and they fight Shredder, and it's a totally normal uh, uh, battle. A totally normal Ninja Turtle battle. Bros, we can't fight Shredder by ourselves, we need to fight them together using turtle power. And so they're fighting uh, Shredder and then suddenly Leonardo just says I grow tired of of your morality and he gets the knife and he just stabs it through Shredder's heart. Gory! There's fucking blood everywhere and his guts and his innards start pouring out of his body and Splinter lays on the floor, covered in blood, and he's dead. And, uh, oh shit, my phone's about to die. Hold on. I've been using my phone this whole damn time. Where's my plug? Okay, so, uh, Splint so Shredder is dead. And the Ninja Turtles go, and they go up to uh, Shredder's body. They take off Shredder's mask, and it's their face under Shredder's mask. Yes. And then a slow pan back to the Ninja Turtles. Now they're all Shredder. And now everyone is Shredder, but no one is Shredder. So then they go and see Splinter. Splinter will have answers. Splinter's on top of a mountain and he's naked and he's playing the flute. And so yes. they climb up, but once they climb up, they, they finally see Splinter, and they're like, Master, you need to help us. 
and and Splinter says the only way I can help you is for you to kill me, and then yes. they all kill themselves, and then the blood forms a heart. End of the movie. And and wait wait wait, and then they all fuck a bull. And then they all fuck a bull. Yes. Yeah. This teenage mutant ninja Jodorowsky's. That's a number one movie. Number one movie. And so I have one more Jodorowsky film, and this one is a legitimately good idea, which is weird, but uh, of course, Barb and Star go to the Holy Mountain. Barb and Star go to the Holy Mountain. I am so on board. It's 100% the same movie, The Holy Mountain, but we Rosencrantz and Guildenstern it with Barb and Star. And they're on vacation, but they've gone to the wrong place, and they don't know where they are, and just, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What, Barb? Look over there, Star, that guy. Doesn't he look familiar? He does. Who does he look like? Does he look like, oh, you know who he looks like? He looks like Jesus Christ. <laughs> he looks like Jesus Christ? Oh my gosh, yes, he looks exactly like Jesus Christ. Maybe we should... Maybe we should get get a picture with him. Maybe get an autograph. Look, he's going into that tall tower. We should follow him. Oh, you I know, can't believe that we're going to meet Jesus. You I should have worn my good culottes. Barb, back in Jerusalem, they didn't bathe very much. Oh my goodness. Does yeah. Jesus stink? Do you think? Because they didn't have plumbing I, back then. I don't I, even I, think I, they I, had toilet I, paper I, to wipe their bottles. Oh my goodness. And you know how those woolen robes, natural wool, how, how that just absorbs the odor. But even if the Savior is stinky, I'm just really excited to meet him. I haven't been this excited since I saw John Chiedel at that airport bar. Yeah. I can see this entire film, and somehow it's <laughs> great. <laughs> well, I, I, for that one, I'm leaning more on the satire, because really... If anybody's work needs to be satirized... Okay. I usually do not like movies that are very up their own ass, but nothing is more up its own ass than Jodorowsky, and it's it's like my one exception. You know? Yeah. yeah. But what I'm worried nothing about... is better to parody than something that's completely up its own ass. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what I'm worried about is that... for some uh, reason, like, it's even funnier if you like it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Barb and Star go to the Holy Mountain, I think, would be absolutely fucking hysterical. It'd be and great. And would be the galaxy quest of Jodorowsky movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it'd be fucking wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I'm worried about now is that when when this blue slash teal in my hair finally disappears, and yeah. I have all I have uh my long black hair back, I'm worried I'm gonna look like Mexican Jesus in the desert. Yeah. Really worried about that because I saw the Mexican Jesus in the sandals in the desert, and it's like shit. Is that gonna be me when my black hair comes back? I'm a bit worried about that. But then, but then this is also where he is leveling up. Yeah. In his steps to enlightenment. 
by killing each of each of his predecessors and basically claim his ability. So like the first one would allow bullets to pass through them. He used that shit a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. I guess he learned to be more precise. And he learned... He learned how to kill people with a butterfly net. Rabbits are tasty. Yeah. He learned that a butterfly net is more powerful than a gun. He yes. learned that sometimes you just gotta lick a shoe. Sometimes you yes. just gotta lick a woman's shoe. That's an important... That's, that's symbolism. Everything is symbolism and nothing is symbolism. And then he became Graham Chapman. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good call. That's yeah. a good call. He became Graham Chapman. Yeah. And we are now into a completely different movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you know that there's a sequel? A sequel to El Topo? Yes. For the longest time, Jodorowsky's like, I've come up with an idea for a sequel and I'm going to make it. I'm totally going to make it. Uh, I've written it and we're going to do it. And yeah. so it, for years and years and years, he, he was talking about the, his uh, sequel to El Topo. He even released like a, te like a teaser poster, but he never released it. He just couldn't get the backing. Nobody wanted to do a sequel to El Topo, whatever the fuck. So finally, he just said in like 2008, at the end of 2008, fuck it. So he released, he released it as a graphic novel. He wrote the script and then had someone turn it into a comic book, and you can get it on freaking Amazon. That's probably and the Barnes poster I lifted. Yeah, it's called The Sons of El Topo, and it follows the, the son, and now he's the gunslinger. And Jodorowsky wrote it. Jodorowsky wrote a fucking comic book. I like to get the more popular artwork for the movie's poster for the announcements and the pre-roll. Yeah. You know, something that they are comfortable and they're used to seeing. You know? Yeah. Then yeah, that for our section, for when we're actually covering it, I like to find something a little different. Maybe a foreign version or something like that. I, 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 I appreciate that. I appreciate that, you know? Yeah. You're going for something different. Yeah. I appreciate your hard work, good sir. Thank you. Uh, but, but again, and finally, Jodorowsky is he's one of those... He's basically an acid trip. Yeah. You do not want a steady diet of Jodorowsky. No. You know... So, like, when the fuck did we do Holy Mountain? It's been a good... Three years. Three years. I looked it up. It was three years? Yep. So, after having fallen in love with, with Holy Mountain and Jodorowsky as a filmmaker, it took me three years to get around to another one of his movies. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. clear... So basically, expect 
October, three years from now, is that 2024? Yeah. If we're not living under domes or something like that. Um, expected to be a, a month of circus movies. So I can nice. sneak in Santa Santa Grey. <laughs> uh, I feel that there's a lot of movies, especially in like the 50s and 60s, of like, hey, it's a traveling circus. Everything's fine. Until murder. I feel yeah. like if you really tried, you could find like five movies that are that exact same plot. You know? Yeah. And probably Joan Collins is in one of them. <laughs> Trog! So, uh, one last thing I wanted to mention. Uh, I just posted something really great in the, in the group that I'm really proud of because I was trying to put my finger on who Joe Dorowski looked like and then I realized that he looked like Derek from The Good Place. Okay. So I found a, a, a still from The Good Place that looks 100% like it could be a scene from El Topo. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm really proud of it. I tweeted it and nobody gave a shit because I'm tweeting about fucking El Topo. Oh. But... I'm, I'm really proud of it. But finally, the last thing I wanted to mention. Um, one thing I love is when there's a movie and it's beloved. Everyone loves it. Oh, my goodness. The Thing. Kirk Russell. The fucking Antarctica and monsters and, hey, we're just going to... Either one of us could be it and we're just going to drink and die and fucking... The thing. No one trusts each other. We're all tired. Everyone loves that, and it's a classic. But you can always go to one person. Savage New York Times bitch Vincent Canby. Oh, yeah. All right. Hit me. To fucking shit on classic movies. Whatever classic movie is out there, just look for a Vincent Canby review, and it's going to be a wonderful bitch fest. So... I found his review, and the headline is, Is El Topo a con? A con? A con, yeah. Uh, so, it, it's a long article. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I want to read my favorite part. Okay. It isn't that El Topo is not about anything but rather that it's about too much. Inventorying it is like sorting out the contents of a turkey buzzard's stomach. There is very little that's not in there, but nothing much has been digested. Okay. I love that so much, and he goes on to just keep attacking... Uh, God, Original Sin, Catholicism, Zen, Lao Tzu, Christ, the conventions of movie westerns, Ulysses and the Oddity, uh, aphorisms, my butterfly net is stronger than your gun. They're all here in a movie that is all guts, but has no body to give the guts particular shape or function. The movie has no life of its own. Joe Dorowski is not interesting or inventive enough as a filmmaker to structure reality. 
to restructure well, reality. Yeah, but see, well, first off, again, with a work like Chodorowsky's, anybody's opinion is valid. So I totally validate what he is saying about the movie. You know? Yeah. This movie but is so But what he is complaining about is one of the things I find very interesting and really like about the work. Yeah, no, there's no connective tissue between anything. But it still, yeah. it still follows a narrative, but you fill in those little spots. Like, why did he go to the town with the naked little boy? Yeah. Did, did he go there for a reason, or did he just happen upon it? Yeah. You know? The, the thing about a movie like this is that it's so non-traditional, and it's so experimental, and it's so artistic, and it's so full of uh, meaning and symbolism that, like you said, every review is correct. Yes. So if you come, come at this and say that, uh, <coughs> like I saw some people online say that the bandit who destroyed the town in the beginning is God, and the gunslinger represents man. And in the beginning of the film, before Genesis, man kills God and then sets out to become the savior of mankind. And the rest of it is all a Bible analogy. And you go, yes, you are absolutely correct. And then you go to somebody else and say, oh, this is pretentious shit. And it's like, you are also correct. Well, yeah, yes, yes, and it, and because of that, it makes it very much fun to talk about, at least yeah, to me you anyway. Bring, because yeah, yes, there were there were very many Jesus analogies, at least as close as Jodorowsky has gotten to Jesus previously, with yeah. the gunslinger character, but yeah. but it, it, it's his own personal Jesus still. Yeah. Your own personal Jodorowsky. I I I like I want you bring you bring so much of yourself to this film that yeah. when you see the film you get your own response to it. And my response to seeing this amazing work of art is I'm gonna try and dumb it down as much as fucking possible. I'm gonna what? I'm gonna try and dumb this discussion down as much <laughs> as possible because this is a, a very artistic hoity-toity movie. So what I need to do is come in and say, you know what this movie needs? Fucking Vin Diesel in a in a in a in a car in a yeah. muscle car. Just <laughs> get in, Jesus. We've gotta stop these terrorists. <laughs> And they just Tokyo drift into the desert. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Let's get a let's get a uh, what's his name the the Michael. I forgot his name, and I'm so happy that I forgot his name. Michael. He did all the goddamn Transformers. Michael Bay's El Topo. Yes. You know, and just all these explosions and just yeah. Yeah, it's just all the gunshot at the gunfight at the end. 
It's just yeah. all of the the last five minute massacre, but just done with an insane amount of CGI robots. Yes. Yeah. Now that's a movie I can watch. Ernest goes to El Tobo. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, so that's all I've got for El Topo. It's a good movie, but if I had to watch a uh, weird, insane, bizarre art film, I'll probably go to the Holy Mountain first. But I am really excited for the yeah. old dog version of Holy Mountain. Yeah. yeah. So, but this oh, is a good totally movie. I agree with that. It's not, it's not... I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Holy Mountain. Yeah. But it's still a good movie. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, El and Topo you, is a, a little bit more, a, a little too abstract. Yeah. To enjoy as much as, as Holy Mountain, which was a bit more in your face with its metaphors. Yeah. Because, yeah, because this movie is just, there's rabbits, there's a person in a field, there's blood, there's a uh, kissing. But then in the Holy Mountain, literally it ends with, you just watched a film. It is ending. Yeah. What do you think, audience? Yeah. This yeah. is me, the director, talking to you. This was a movie. What have <laughs> we learned, Charlie Brown? So, so yeah, it's a bit more, it's a bit more direct, uh, Holy Mountain. But yeah, yes. this was fun. Bunny! Yes. I'm dying to know what freaking movie are we watching next week? Okay. So now again, now we're taking a step down. Okay. 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 We're taking a step down. This is clearly a western following western themes. Back to the Future 3? Starring Terrence Hill, an actor who do, does not get enough credit in America, but was huge in fucking Europe at the time. Although, you know a lot of his work anyway, I am sure. Oh, of course. And Henry uh, Fonda, My Name is Nobody. My name is nobody is this a is this a prequel to uh uh bob odenkirk's nobody is there gonna be a fight in a bus i believe so awesome then i am down I with believe that believe this is what okay so okay we can't get directly to nobody with bob odenkirk okay because we have to stop over by the kingsman Okay. Nice. And okay. if you remember, there was the American version of the Kingsmen, who were all yeah. basically Texan. Yeah. Okay. So this starts with Terrence Hill in My Name is Nobody, which starts that Texan order. Okay. Okay. Which is there then be becomes, which then becomes, uh, the order that Bob Odenkirk became a part of. Okay, is is there going to be a rope? 
Are there going to be any robots that are specifically created to not kill Elton John? Uh, not in this one. Okay, okay. I'll still keep an open mind, though. Not in this movie. But Terrence Hill, man, he just doesn't get enough... He did this, and this was a big movie. This, I mean, it was a spaghetti western, but it was still fucking starring Henry Fonda, and Henry Fonda was still big in the day. And Terrence Hill did this, and Terrence Hill did the uh, Trinity Trilogy. Which is also westerns, and I'm really not big of a fan, but these were big movies. Uh, Bernard! Doug! Stop it, Doug! You're gonna wake up Eleanor! Along Chill. with Super Fuzz or Super Cop? I know that movie, yes. See, I knew, yeah. I knew we would get to one of them. Super Fuzz, yeah. Yeah, it's like an Italian movie set in New York and cops get superpowers. And it's like yeah. this weird grindhouse movie where they're all Superman, but they're cops, yeah. Yeah, and, and a few other movies like that as well. Terrence Hill was huge overseas. All throughout Europe, he was, he was the fucking superstar at the time. And we kind of give him a, a passing glance here. Yeah. But... Yeah. So that is what we're going to be doing. My name is Nobody, Terrence Hill, Henry Fonda, a real, a, 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 a more Western than El Topo, but you can, you can draw a line. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. That's going to be exciting. Next week, we're watching another Western. My name is Nobody. Uh, plus, uh, I'm going to be singing a lot of Neil Diamond songs. Just, you know, a lot of Neil Diamond. So yeah. that'll be exciting next week. But looking back at this week, wow. Uh, Jodorowsky's 007, Barb and Star, Tony Morrison, Tommy Dreamer's a douchebag, Dear Evan <laughs> Hansen, what's it like in New York City? I got to say, I think this has been a pretty good episode of the podcast. A fairly decent a somewhat entertaining episode of the podcast. This has been a damn good enter. This has been a damn good episode. Good. And a damn I, good I, conversation about a damn good movie. Yeah, good. I was gonna, I was gonna say that same thing, but I feel that you're the one who is the decider, who <laughs> decides whether or not the episode gets that distinction. But yes, I concur. With your assessment, good sir. So until next week, I am Bunny Williams. And I am Reverend Stephen on behalf of Natasha and Amber and Mal and Eleanor and Maxwell and, and Emerald. I gotta say, I just want to say thanks for listening and we will see you next week you godless heathens! And you just waffles with cookie cut. And you lay the original wavy chips. You are delicious. Yes, Eleanor. And you. Thinking? That's fine. Take your time. Take your time. And you. You're not going to say anything? 
Okay. It's okay. I don't know. And you, I don't knows. Okay. I don't know. Okay, because we got to wrap it up, Eleanor. Have anything? Come on. And you, just look at the first thing you see. Okay, you don't want to do it. Great. Do, 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 etc. Cut and print. Cut and print.